0: change or die? Why is a Liberal leader delivering the bank's threats? And three strikes and you're out for Spy Liar. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 13th of January 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome, Robbie. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing uh, the latest in the fight, which is hitting um, its strides to save cash in a you know extraordinary way. And, and the bank's
1: agenda to smash all the branches in regional Australia.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about... Um, The perils of being a China propagandist when you get everything wrong.
1: (laughs) Well, what happens is people believe the headlines and then months, sometimes a few years later, and that's what we're going to talk about, when the headline should be, we were wrong. That's never the headline, Mm. but it is the headline and we will tell you every time they're wrong. And this one, this particular person should be, he's had three strikes now and he should be out.
0: Mm. Now you've got a couple of reminders, but don't forget to like, hit the like button if you get something out of the show. Subscribe and ring the notifications bell, and we'll alert you of new upcoming um, reports. And share as widely as you can.
1: Well, uh, just you know, to mention the obvious, Lisa, this is our first show for twenty twenty three, and we've got a lot on in twenty twenty three. That's a continuation of of the initiatives that we started last year and before. Um, so the two the, the two specific ones though is uh, the 3rd of February is the deadline for submissions to the um, Senate inquiry into ASIC and its investigations. Remember, ASIC is the financial cop that doesn't investigate. Less than 1% of, its, of complaints, it bothers to investigate. Um, so we put out a press release this week on it reminding people, if you're a financial victim you mu- and who had any experience with ASIC, and pretty much the universal experience with ASIC from financial victims has been terrible. ASIC, has, ASIC becomes a trigger word for trauma for them, as do a few others like AFCA, which is formerly the Financial Ombudsman Service. But everyone everyone who's a financial victim knows what a failure ASIC is. You, um, don't be despondent. So uh, this is specifically an issue where people know there's been lots of inquiries in the last decade. But when I say lots of, a number of, um, including a couple of big ones. The biggest one was the Royal Commission, right? Right. And so you can have this attitude, oh, what's another inquiry going to do? Well, um, who was the Greek philosopher who said you never step into the same river twice? Heraclitus. Heraclitus. Everything is always changing. In this case, we've got a new government that was able to just commentate for the last 10 years and make all these good noises about what they would do if they were government to clean up the system. Well, now they are. And so this new government needs to be presented with the evidence that ASIC is a failure and hasn't changed since the Royal Commission. Right, And that's what's got to come out of this inquiry. So if you are a victim, you must make a submission. You mm. must. I can't emphasise that enough. And if you aren't a victim, but you know victims, contact them to make sure they make a submission. It doesn't have to be the biggest, um, most professional submission in the world, but tell your story as it related to your experience with ASIC. Get it in and the detail, we'll have the link below to our press release on it this week, right? So people can follow the links to the um, the Senate Inquiry website. Just one quick story from that, though. <laughs> The um, our our press release links to John Adams and Martin North's show on this last week, and they tell the story that came out of a Senate hearing, or no, a a parliamentary hearing last December, a month ago, where a a professional organisation made a submission to ASIC, put in a submission to ASIC, um, and. When they lodged it, now they'd prepared they They'd spent five thousand dollars preparing the submission. When they lodged it, mm. within forty-five seconds, they got a response from ASIC: no further action. <laughs> forty-five seconds. That means a computer is making the decision, yeah, right? Auto reply. and it's biased towards not investigating rather than actually investigating. Well, that's
0: we, the default setting, obviously. Exactly,
1: and we tell the story when we this this acronym: no further action (NFA), mm. right? This is this was the kiss of death for the Sterling First victims that we talked about a lot in the last two years, right? Every complaint from when that when that scheme started in two thousand and fifteen, ASIC started receiving complaints straight away, and everyone was marked NFA, NFA, NFA. So, um, you know, this is what this agency does. It's supposed to be the financial cop. Where you, I can't be a cop if you don't investigate. Um, and then people have their other experiences. So please make those make those submissions. Okay, that's the third of February. The second one that we need to bring to people's attention is, this is a little bit late notice, but on Monday. So this show gets posted on YouTube on Saturday. So you're watching this sometime after Saturday, Saturday night or sometime after. Monday is the deadline for submissions to the Senate inquiry into nuclear power. And what we encourage people, if if you agree with us that Australia should be able to look at this option, um, make a submission, but just write a quick letter. To the inquiry, saying I support nuclear power, and it's something as basic as that. Because what you what you're sending is a message to the to the um, senators that there is popular support for this, and it is growing, growing popular support. We're the only country which which is told we're going to deal with this supposedly massive crisis, but there's one technology we can't touch, right? And that's just childish. It's pathetic. It's worse than pathetic. So um, you got till Monday to do that. So let me just urge you, just make a quick, just f- find the details. We'll have them li- linked below. Post
0: them below. Yeah,
1: just, just make a quick, um, uh, e- send a quick email with your name and who you are mm. telling you support it and let's give them a bit of a sense that there is public support for this.
0: Yeah. Now to our first topic, change or die? Why is a Liberal leader delivering the bank's threats? Now, we've had actually over these last few weeks since our last show an extraordinary level of engagement um, in regard to our campaign to put a moratorium on bank branch closures, which are happening as we were reporting at the end of last year, at a rapid rate of knots following the conclusion of the regional banking task force, which basically, as we had been saying, gave a green light because they said, oh, you know let them all go to Australia post, you can shut your branches, essentially, if you read between the lines or not yep. even read between the lines very much.
1: Well, when you say gave them a green light, the Regional Banking Task Force, eight of the 11 members were banks.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so they gave
1: themselves a green light.
0: It, yeah, exactly. Massively
1: closed more branches.
0: Um, so there was a lot of, we'll go through some of the engagement, but it, a lot of media coverage, actually, a lot of council activity. Um, and one of the other things, this is just kind of, locals getting engaged in the issue because it's a big factor for business people. So the reference um, in that title, Change or Die, uh, comes from a shadow cabinet meeting that took place in Narra Court in South Australia just before Christmas. Um, so um, for some reason the um, opposition party held their uh, shadow cabinet meeting there and that part of the forum is a public meeting where locals can come along and participate and in response to a businessman who raised bank branch closures and the impact it's having on small business in particular
1: and south australia's had more per cap more as a sort of percentage than any other state mm.
0: the south australian opposition leader david spears said this he said not only will country banks continue to close but we should expect closures across cities and suburbs as well he said, there will be no banks in 10 years' time. And the article uh, in the Narra Court Herald, which reported this, went on to say, taking a plastic card from his pocket and holding it up, Mr Spears told the 50 Strong Forum, quote, it will all be on these and we will all tap a white square and there will be no cash and if you don't change with the times, you will die, unquote.
1: yeah, Alisa... <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we shouldn't overstate this because, in a sense, it was a, a figure yeah. of speech, right? But really, take it for what it is. It's it's, it's still a threat. Now, this particular—if you put a picture of this David Spears on the on the screen, these um these politicians are getting younger every year. If I'm starting to notice. <laughs> I don't know if it has something to do with me. Um, but there's something particularly mili- uh, obnoxious about young liberals. Sorry, there is. Um, uh, You'll find that in every party, I'm sure. But this is a got the Liberal Party is the party owned by the banks. Lock, stock, and barrel. Hundred percent. And this guy chose to stand there, this young punk, who's happy to flash his plastic around, which means every bit of money he spends is bank money, not his own money. Your own money if your money is in a bank, and there's a reason to have money in a bank, but understand when your money is in a bank, that is bank money. You've actually legally loan money to the bank and they've given you a, a record that they owe you money, right? But it is a, a token from the bank and it's there, they are um, in control of that money. The only money you are ever sovereignly control of, sovereignly, that, that's entirely your choice, is the cash in your wallet. That's the only money you're ever in control of. Now, there's a reason to use banks and we should have banks, right? To, to, to store the money, etc. But understand that relationship. Um, if the banks succeed in closing off all the exit ramps so you can't get money out that means it's all bank money, never any of your own money. And this guy is saying get used to that right Change or die. Well, that's the bank's message. This is a guy who's supposed to represent the people of South Australia. He delivered the bank's message. no why should we're going we've got to go through a bunch yeah. of things on this but just just bear this in mind. Why are the banks the only business where the customer is not always right? That they're not doing everything to serve the customer. They get to make decisions. How can the customer serve us? What can we force those customers to do so that we make more profits out of them? That's how the banking business works because the banks have allowed to become an oligopoly. You cannot function in the economy without working through the banks. Mm. And they have that power. And these politicians just going, this guy believes the bank's propaganda and he just repeats it to the people of court whereas he should be saying, no, the banks must be required to serve their customers properly. Mm. But we'll go through more of that.
0: Yes, yeah, so um, a number of councils, and we've been um, putting out the word far and wide, organising councils across the country through our te- large team of activists. Um, so councils are taking up the cause because a, a lot of uh, places are facing the closure, and there were 72 branch closures um, that were announced after that regional banking task force After the 30th
1: of September last year. um,
0: And a number of those, uh, forget the number, more than 20, were the final bank in the town closing down... And once that happens, which is why the councils are um, involved in this, you know, the town basically shuts down.
1: Well, the council bank and the councils bank at the bank as well. Yeah, exactly.
0: <sighs> um, and so there were a number of councils that took this up at the end of last year, including uh, Coober Pedy, who are losing Westpac Bank, and and that's in South Australia as well, and Juni and New South Wales losing the Commonwealth Bank. Um, and... Coober PD, they held a town meeting about this to get the population organised. There was coverage in ABC, which we reported last year. There was coverage in the Adelaide Advertiser. Um, Junee threatened an injunction against the Commonwealth Bank closing down and then they shared the fact that they'd done that with 45 other councils, writing to the councils that were also losing their banks, saying, yep. we need to work together to fight against this. Um, now, that collaboration led to uh, coverage uh, on the 19th of December on ABC's 7.30 report, and that um, report was going to be covering the shutdown of uh, the last bank branch in Kanama in WA. The Westpac. But, but because Kanama Shire got this letter from June e, they contacted June E and said, oh, you know, you should get on to 7.30 report too. Yep. And so the 7.30 report ended up, um, also featuring that, um, we'll play a couple of clips from that. You had um...
1: just just before you do the the uh, just to emphasise the point that is leading a fight back here. So what's happened until Juni e put its hand up, um, Juni e itself felt like just a small little council. How can we t- they're losing the Commonwealth Bank, right? Mm. How can we the little council take on the Commonwealth, the massive Commonwealth Bank? Kanama over in Western Australia, they're losing. They're thinking the same about Westpac. But because the June E Council takes the initiative to say, no, we are going to stand up to this and, and um, they've been collaborating with uh, Martin North and Dale Webster, the journalist who provide mm. done all the data on this, um, they say, no, let's, let's take them on, right? Send a legal letter, share with these other councils, look, this is what we're doing, do it with us. Kanama responds straight away and suddenly... 7:30 was already, you know, it was just what was just going to be a story about um,
0: one, town. one little
1: town losing its last bank house. Sad, mm. suddenly it's a story about a, a national fight back.
0: Yeah. Right? Now, in this first clip, um, you have Anna Bly from the um, oh. <laughs> representative of the banks, um, and she's talking about the Kanama branch. And as you'll see, she puts it all back on Australia Post. You know, don't, don't worry about the banks closing their doors, we've got Australia Post. So we'll roll that.
2: It's something that's going to keep affecting Australians as we as a country experience an unprecedented shift in how we do our banking. We are seeing um, an acceleration out of COVID of customers um, voting with their feet and moving at pace into the um, virtual banking environment.
0: What would you say to the residents of Karnamar?
2: Banks and other financial institutions like credit unions and building societies, they all are paying and contributing to Australia Post to operate bank services on their behalf. The basic banking services that most people um, who aren't online, who are still wanting to go into a branch need, withdrawing um, cash, cashing a cheque, depositing money, they can all be done in the post office. Now, in this
1: later on, Elisa, we're going to see clips from the bank CEOs.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Saying exactly the same thing. Now, that's not surprising. She's the CEO of the Banking Association, but that is their view. Remember, the bottom line when, when they talk about Australia Post, they're barely paying for the service. Mm-hmm. They cut in half at least what they were what they agreed to pay Christine Holgate.
0: Now we'll play a clip of the um, East... Council CEO James Davis. Now, he's talking about the fact that they got a stay of execution where the bank was going to stay open for an extra couple of months because there was no ramp for disabled people to access Australia Post. So, And he calls that, he says, that's just cosmetic. You know, we need a more serious solution. We need a moratorium on closures. And then you'll see Stephen Jones, the Finance Service Minister, come in in this clip and he, like Anna Bly, puts it all on Australia Post too.
3: These are cosmetic changes, really, to a building. But there is a much wider spread problem with over 44 banks listed for closure across Australia. We feel that with a bit more cooperation from other localities, we might be able to nudge the government into considering a moratorium on further bank closures.
1: Well, it's
4: not something we're looking at at the moment. In many of these communities, as I'm advised, the banks were not being used or not being used sufficiently to um, allow you know, them to continue to operate on a financially viable basis. My concern is to ensure that whatever relationship and whatever arrangements are being put in place for Australia Post, um, that they're as good as the arrangements that existed before the bank exited that town. Ensuring that every town that currently has access to a bank... Continues to have access to banking services.
1: Now I have to say, good on James Davis. Um, he's he's a pretty impressive CEO, actually. Um, uh, but the Stephen Jones comment—it's uh, it, really telling to me that Stephen Jones says, "I've whatever he says, I've been informed or whatever." Um, the I think it may be starting to get through that what the banks are claiming which until we started making a big stink in the last 12 months or so, was just accepted as, oh, yeah, people aren't using banks. Mm. Rubbish. And when you analyse the, t- the statistics, you start to see the opposite picture. Think of it this way. By definition, there wouldn't be a protest in right across regional Australia about branch closures if people didn't want to use branches.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: That's by definition. We wouldn't be having a show on this subject by definition. So that they, he's so, but he just repeats that regurgitates the bank's propaganda, right? And that's what we are going to shred that propaganda in the coming weeks and months, especially if we can get an inquiry up into
0: mm-hmm. this. Now, um, on the so that was the nineteenth of December. that seven thirty coverage. The twenty first of December. Uh, ABC Radio at Illawarra interviewed Martin North on branch closures and discussed a survey that he's conducted which showed that 38% of respondents in regional Australia said they still needed to use bank branches compared with 21% in suburban areas.
1: And the issue with that is the banks are saying we are responding to the demand. So Martin's survey shows there's much higher demand for branches... Or significantly higher demand for branches in regional Australia mm-hmm. than in metropolitan Australia. Where are banks shutting down the most branches? Where yeah. there's the most demand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time... How do you, I, 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 we should stop talking about politicians lying. <laughs> Nobody lies like bankers.
0: Yeah. Although I will say in metropolitan areas it's an issue too because I had to go to the <laughs> bank yesterday <laughs> and I didn't go to the one that used to be two minutes drive away because it shut down last year. So I had to go to the one that's about five minutes away to find that they were ripping out the ATMs and shutting it all down and putting black paper over the windows. So I had to go to the one that's nearly 10 minutes away.
1: And and, and can I say, you, you're dead right. Um, the, the, the We have the data for regional Australia and, and in regional Australia, you don't get to go to a 10-minute away bank, mm. you get to go to an hour away yeah, bank. Yeah, or right?
0: more.
1: So it's, it's a more slightly more acute issue. But even in even that... That the lower demand in metropolitan Australia and suburban Australia, that's of much bigger population. Mm-hmm. So the actual absolute demand mm. is still very, very high.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? In fact, more people are missing out on bank branches in the cities than in the countries as a result of that. Yeah,
0: and a lot because of... Because the
1: population is so much bigger.
0: A lot of, you know, people on their gophers or people that yeah. walk to the bank or have to get public transport, etc. Um, so it's very inconvenient. <clears throat> now, on the 28th of December, uh, there, were, there was an article, and also on the 3rd of January, actually, articles in the Weekly Times, which is a Victorian rural publication on branch closures. And these um, reported on Dale Webster's um, very thorough work and all of her figures on bank, bank closures. The first one was headline: Bank closures, New South Wales loses 31 banks since regional banking task force report release. And also reported, uh, the second one reported on the um, June E fight as well. It was headlined, Regional Bank Closures, Junee Mounts a Fight Against CBA Branch Shutting. Um, and they said, Rural banks are closing at an alarming speed, but one town in southern New South Wales is up for the fight. June e Shire Council has taken the lead role in in trying to convince the CBA to remain open in a move which has won farmer and small business backing and hopes it will become a template for other towns in the same predicament. In other words, they're leading a charge. And what
1: I was impressed with with both those articles is um, you didn't have the journo sort of inserting in there the default setting, oh yeah, but this is where technology is going. What you did have is representatives of of, of significant businesses, like there's a there's some kind of um, gingerbread factory or something in Junee. I've probably got that wrong. I apologise if I have. I, I Let us know. <laughs> I didn't look it up. It's in the article. That has 120,000 visitors a year. Mm. 120,000, right? It's a significant local tourist attraction, etc. And their their owner was saying this is a real problem for us. I mean, why can't you know? What sort of use of the banks? Plus mm. Junee Shire, by the way, the, the 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 CEO has produced the the figures. The population projections, population growth projections are enormous. Mm. These are banks abandoning um, significant areas. The NFF spokesman, National Farmers Federation spokesman didn't try and paper over it either and say, oh, this is inevitable. No, he was upset that agribusinesses are losing that support. And can I say, um, NAB, we might be able to put the title up here, I think I think it was called the Land of Opportunity. Last year, NAB put out a report on regional Australia's economy mm-hmm. and how much money they're making for it yeah. off it, they call it the land of opportunity, right? Um, there was a massive increase in, in like they, NAB was boasting, they got a 20% increase in regional deposits last year from yeah. regional Australia, right? 20% increase, yet they're abandoning the joint.
0: Yeah, and but, claiming it's because the branches aren't profitable in those areas. <laughs>
1: Well, exactly. Well, we're going to we're going to come back to that. And we're just, show this next footage.
0: And on that point, also though, um, Nasim Kadem wrote for the ABC on the fifth of January an article: Australians are hoarding more banknotes, but how far away is a cash society in a digital world? And that actually reported that um, record levels of cash are being held by the population. Um, the RBA reports a shift away from cash transactions even though cash is being held, but that shift away from cash transactions is less so when it comes to older populations, lower income demographics, also immigrants, who, she makes a big point, don't trust banks. They even cite the case of Lebanon, uh, which we've been reporting on, where accounts have been frozen and no withdrawals have been allowed and many of the banks have actually closed altogether and they're only open by appointment, um, because they've had a spate of depositors turning up armed with weapons to try to demand their, their deposits, their own deposits back. Um, now it, ad- even,
1: I, th- I found it interesting in the Sims Academy's article, even, even um, Muslim people mm. who take seriously that they shouldn't charge interest don't they prefer not to use the banks just for a basic reason like that, mm-hmm. right? Because you know the, the tiny amount of interest is still something they're not comfortable with. Um, and the other thing about her article was, I think she's she's identified a cultural shift in Australia. Because back in the eighties, when I was a kid and putting my money into the Commonwealth Bank um, at school, right, mm. the, they come around and put. You I happily put my money in there. The sense was, the culture was, mm. that's where your money's safe. Mm-hmm. Chief reported a survey that 56% of Australians keep money, at least some money, out of the banks mm. because they don't think it's safe in the banks, yeah. right? And that's not their fault. That's the bank's fault. That's a that's the, a reflection of um, reality. But if there is a the, – the corresponding thing is though – so there's more hoarding going on but there's fewer transactions. Well – that's not just the market though. The banks are taking away the da- the easy access to oh, cash. Oh yeah.
0: Well, some right? places don't let you pay in cash. Yeah,
1: exactly. They, the banks are encouraging Still. businesses to to mm. go cashless, etc. And so that's a force. That trend is forced. It's not just it's not just organic.
0: Now, um, if you haven't already take our material to your local council. Um, Just over the last few weeks, the Mornington Shire Council, which covers the Wellesley and Mornington Islands in the Gulf of Carpentaria, passed a motion supporting the establishment of a government post office bank, per our proposal. That was the 14th of December. Um, Toowoomba in Queensland and the West Tamar Council in Tasmania have set dates to either debate or vote on similar motions and many other councils um, have acknowledged that proposal and we'll be looking at it, but they need encouragement um, from the locals. If, you know, if you're sick to the back teeth of not having bank facilities, let it be known. Uh, now, on to uh, a good contact of ours who confronted the banks on this issue uh, just before Christmas, I think that was also. Well,
1: we want to play the footage of this. So, Michael, Michael Sanderson is one of the leaders of a bank victims organisation called uh, Bank Warriors and there's a, they're a hardy bunch and they've persisted in their fight over many, many years. So what they do, what they do is they go and buy one share in all the banks and they go, that allows them to go to the AGMs. And they've been doing this for years and they're the one, they wear bow ties. People might have seen them in the, in the media, etc. Um, so the week before, well, two weeks before Christmas, the second week of December, the three big banks, aside from Commonwealth Bank, had their AGMs. Um, two were in Melbourne, one was in Adelaide. And um, Commonwealth Bank has they, does, they do their AGM a different time of year, so Michael went along. Now, what Michael has a whole series of questions he asks these banks, and he just he asks the questions, he goes back to the end of the queue, he goes up again and asks the questions, etc. But he's asking the CEO and the chairman these questions, right? So what he did this time, because he's a supporter of this campaign for to, to um, expose what the banks are doing with regional banking and for a postal bank, so he gets up and asks questions about that. Now, so want to play some clips? Um, I think we may as well just play them all together. You'll you'll you will will identify NAB, ANZ, and Westpac. Um, we won't play everything that he did though, because it'll take too long. Um, we'll put a link. We'll put a link below, and people can where people can go to his site and see the whole thing. And we're go, we're also going to produce a separate video on this. Um, but what he does is he asks, he lays out for all these banks the the issue. Um, so we'll play the one where he lays it out for NAB, what the issue is. And then he asks them a series of questions. He asks them about, are they claiming the branches are unprofitable? And if so, will they, will they subject that claim to an audit? They all duck that question, don't even, don't even respond to it. But then everything they say to justify the closures mm-hmm. is all exactly what, like what Anna Bly was talking about, right? Um, but some of the things, just listen to the way these bank CEOs and chairmen respond um, especially where you see how explicit they are in we are pushing people into digital. The ANZ guy um, is the most explicit in this, but they all, they're all—they all essentially doing that, right? So have a, have a listen. This is what you're dealing with, and everything you're about to hear, we will be responding to with facts. Um, we already have been preemptively, preemptively. Michael's stats came from Dale Webster. Um we will be responding to with facts going forward. If we get an inquiry, which is what we're pushing for through the Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport Committee, every claim you're about to hear the banks make, we'll be able to destroy.
2: So, have a look. Chair, I'd like to reintroduce Mr Michael Sanderson. Thank you.
4: Hello again. Um, I'd like to build on Mr Schott's uh, comments about uh, staff and branches. Um, Banking is a unique service with unique powers and responsibilities. I put it to NAB it's not possible to digitise a personal interaction reflected in a file or do it remotely. National Australia Bank has 286 regional branches still open but has closed or cut services to a point where the facility Is no longer classified as a bank branch to 474 locations. This is a cut of 62% of the original regional network of 760. My question is how do NAB branch closures comply with the mandatory very important word mandatory contractual warranty of the Banking Code of Practice that states, we are committed to providing banking services which are inclusive of all people, including A, older people, very important to me, people with disabilities, this is a good one, Indigenous Australians, including in remote locations, and D, people with limited English. Um, We have, uh, even though our branches' numbers have fallen over years, and that is the inevitable result of the changing pattern of usage, we still have 283 regional branches, which I think still puts us um, actually ahead of almost all our competitors. But more importantly, um, we have entered into the contractual arrangement with Australia Post to make sure that the um, post office branches are available. Uh, to provide some banking activities and services to our customers. Um, as you appreciate, it's never been possible. We've never been in every community uh, as a bank. And the number of branches, I, I can only uh, hazard a guess that the number of branches will continue to slowly decline over time as fewer and fewer people use them.
5: So maybe you could clarify for me what is it you'd like us to answer?
4: The reason for closing is it yeah. profitability. If it is profitability, would you be prepared to subject to an independent audit? Okay, thank you. And the Banking Code of Practice is mandatory. The ANZ has adopted that. So there is a contractual warranty. And closing the branches, it would seem breaches um, the access of older people, people with disability, Indigenous Australians, including remote locations, and people with limited English. Thank you. Okay, I understand the point.
5: So, you know, I think uh, the challenge we've always got here is the change in customer behavior and trying to get the balance between viability, as you raised it, and making sure there's accessibility. We do operate today over 400 branches nationally, and I take your point. That's a significant reduction on where we were. But as Shane mentioned earlier, when we look at who comes to a branch, only 8%, 8% of ANZ customers regularly use a branch, Uh, so it is a real challenge for us, trying to get the right balance between the two. In terms of governance, it's the board's job to be accountable for making sure that we're making the right decisions and we're making them appropriately, so uh, I think that's where you need to hold the accountability for uh, any audit or any review, rather than us going externally. In terms of uh, moving forward, um, we do a lot of work when we close a branch to make sure we are addressing access issues in particular, there's a bias towards older Australians who prefer to use branch banking. And so we do reach out to people over 65 and we look to provide them with alternative ways in which they can bank with us and can transact. So for example, we changed our systems technology so that you could link a, debit, a Visa debit card to a passbook and therefore be able to uh, still transact. Um, we did a very interesting survey recently. So. Uh, I am not in any way diminishing the concerns and issues you raised, but people are embracing digital banking. We looked at over 50,000 customers, over 65, who had actually used a branch twice in the previous six months and who we then worked with as part of our transitions to move to digital. Over 90% of those customers had started to use digital banking and a third of them had fully moved to digital banking. So that's the balance we're trying to navigate. We do absolutely understand our responsibility to the community and to the Code of Practice and we're doing our best, Michael, to try and get the right balance on that.
4: Since the peak in 1975, Westpac has slashed 75% of non-metropolitan branches, leaving it with 194 from its original 777. since the start of 2021 westpac has closed 47 westpac branches yeah. these closures westpac has from these closures westpac has left 13 towns with no banking services they are yankindilla menam tailamben Kapunda, peterborough hamilton island jabaru terrigal lura Tom Price, Wogan Hills, Cooper Pedy and Karm My question is, do you claim that the branches Westpac has closed are unprofitable? If so, will you submit this claim to an independent audit? And how do Westpac branch closures comply with the mandatory and contractual warranty of the banking code of practice. Thank you uh, uh, that's a question for the management. Thank
3: you. Yep. So, um, thank you Mr Sanders. So in relation to branches yes the numbers are going down and as I said in uh, my remarks up front seven percent of transactions are now handled through uh, branches uh, and our approach there is that where we are closing a branch there will be an Australia post operation there. Uh, and, and so we will be working with Australia Post to, um, to lift the service uh, in relation to those. Uh, and um, we will also be introducing uh, more virtual capabilities. So we've got the digital uh, capability on the phone uh, and virtual bankers. Uh, in relation to uh, your specific question on why, because we're seeing the foot traffic uh, go down. We're also seeing the ability to staff them uh, be difficult. A couple of the other things that we're doing is co-locating branches, so uh, multiple brands being under one roof, and we're working towards uh, Westpac branches being able to serve uh, all brands as well.
5: Uh, Peter, do you want to pick up the branch?
3: Uh... Yeah, uh, so branches won't go to zero. We, we will always have branches. Uh, as I said before, it will be a, a blend of the branches we own and Australia Post uh, and we still have the second largest branch network in Australia. Um, and, and so the challenge I think you're rightly pointing to is uh, digital and the different cohorts of customers. So certainly, um, uh, and this is, I apologize for generalization, but uh, a lot of customers don't go into branches. They tend to just use uh, digital. Uh, there are a lot of people that prefer branches and we've got to manage that well. Uh, but as I also said, every uh, company I talk to is going digital, so we've got to get people into the digital economy uh, as well. So w- branches won't go to zero. They will have a role. Uh, they will be, ch- they will, the role will change. It'll be less service transactions, cash, um, you know, changing your details, more about uh, advice, and there'll be a bigger role for video as well in the future. Okay, yeah, please don't think that the... Um uh, Australia Post branches are a branch. I mean, it's sort of a Clayton's branch, isn't it? It, it does service. Yeah, it does. Well, the cash. There's service and service.
0: <laughs> so, stay tuned for marching orders on what mm. you can do to help us get this inquiry because we need a real inquiry. That regional banking task force was a farce. Um, so, contact your councils, as we've said. Uh, and in the meantime. Well, and I'll
1: just flag this, Elisa. So the 6th of February is the start of the first week of the first sitting of Parliament this year. And in the first sitting is a two week sitting, but the Senate only sits for the first week, and in the second week is the question time they call Senate estimates. We want to get up an inquiry in that first week, right? So um, the week before, so not this coming week. But the week before that, the week after Australia Day, we will be asking everybody to hit the phones with us and call all these members of parliament and start demanding this. But what you can do in the meantime is take what we've gone through today, mm. including with the press release we did on this, which, which, which we'll link to, mm. which covers all this publicity, share that. Because politicians, when it comes to media publicity are like cats with the light from, a, from a, um, a laser, right, and they're obsessed with it. And they'll, they'll jump, they'll do backflips to keep, to keep following that laser light. And unfortunately, that's the power the media has. When you can force the media to cover an issue, that's mm. when politicians pay attention. They will look at this media coverage that we've gone through over the... The, un, the un, only, only downside of it has been over the summer holidays yeah. when fewer people have been paying attention, right? But it's got, it's got attention and it's going to get more attention. Mm. Share this attention with your Member of Parliament and say, mm. you must be looking at this issue. Right? Yep. and that's how we'll get the inquiry and that's how we'll get the d- debate going about the Postal Bank.
0: Take advantage of it. Now, our next topic, three strikes and you're out for spy liar. Uh, now, we're referring here to a scandal that was reported widely in the press in late 2019 uh, in regards to a purported Chinese spy, Wang lichang now, 60 Minutes presented this fellow, this young fellow, as a leading operative for China, a spy master, in fact, master, yeah. who defected to Australia. But experts refuted it at the time. ASIO expressed scepticism when it first came up. And we reported that the claims did not stack up just on the cursory evidence that was out in the public forum. Yet the media continued to make mileage out of it against China, to build an enemy image of China and to denounce everybody who dared to question whether this guy was a spy or not. Now uh, it has broken that Home Affairs and the Administrative Affairs Tribunal has accepted Beijing's side of the story, which was at the time two years ago painted as a cover-up of their spy. Um, So um, they're admitting not only was he not a spy, but as Beijing had claimed at the time, he was a fraudster who they were chasing for fraud. Um, And, in fact, Australia has now ordered him to be deported back to China. So he won't get a refugee visa as someone who's defected to our side. And they've also, in those forums, uh, questioned his claims of espionage activity as well.
1: What this story shows, Elisa, is that we're in a... It might be hard for people to accept this, but we've been in a period for more than five years where... Every claim you hear about China in the mainstream media, you should instinctively not believe, because there's a propaganda. You should recognise there's a, just like the, prop- the war kind of propaganda that swirls around Ukraine, Russia at the moment. There's a propaganda agenda here, right? And people are, and the media is playing a role in this propaganda agenda. So now we've been trying to tell you this for years now, but get to the so. When I say instinctively don't believe, um, demand evidence, right? Don't, don't, don't just assume that um, there's never anything there, but demand real, real, real evidence. And hysterical claims just because they're Chinese doesn't cut it as real evidence. So in this particular case, though, we have to, we have to call out an operative in the Australian media who deserves to be fired, absolutely fired. His name is Nick McKenzie, formerly of ABC, now of Channel 9, but writer for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. This guy, this is the third time in a few years he made a claim about mm. Chinese spying and has been proved to be wrong. So last year I got to interview Jack James, Jacqueline James, on our show, and she told the story about how back in 2017 when he did a story for ABC which kicked all this hysteria about China off, he did the story for the Four Corners, right, um, called Power and Influence. And he accused an ANU student, Lupin Lu, of informing on students to the Chinese embassy. And he had an interview with her in there and he spliced the interview to make it look like she was admitting to something that she didn't admit to. And when, the, when ABC was forced to hand over the transcript, the transcript showed that she said the opposite of what he made her look like she was saying on, on, on Four Corners that night. That he also that show, same show attacked a Chinese billionaire businessman named Chow Chak Wing, as did the Sydney Morning Herald. Chow Chak Wing has been able to sue successfully twice, and win both times. Based on that, and he was essentially accused of espionage. In fact, there was a whole debate in the court about the definition of espionage, based on what Nick McKenzie and, and uh, John Garneau and, and these people were accusing this guy of right? So um, he proved in court that they were full of it. And now you've got the only spy claim where Nick McKenzie was on that guy's side. <laughs> so the, two, the other two who was attacking this one was, oh, look, we've got a defector here. He's yeah. a Chinese spy. And he puts it up on 60 Minutes. And I remember the story very well. I was getting hysterical phone calls about it at the time. And I was saying, this is a pile of crap, <laughs> right? Um, you can tell it's crap. This, just the, especially with the sixty minutes treatment. Mm. Um, uh, so he puts he puts he puts uh, he puts this up, and he had on there to back up the case Andrew Hasty, who's a who is an unindicted co-conspirator on this China hysteria. Andrew Hasty himself is a fo- is a foreign agent in the Australian Parliament. He's an agent of the United States and the British governments in the Australian Parliament because. He's a member of the Henry Jackson Society in the UK and he does everything to further the interests of the United States in the Australian Parliament. He was on the, at the time though, he was on the Intelligence Committee and he was saying, this guy is a spy, for, is a defected spy for China and he must have asylum here, right? That's what Andrew Hastie's role was. And just like every other claim Andrew Hastie's made, this was absolute rubbish. And the other one was a guy named Alex Joski, an ASP researcher for the Australian Security um uh, what do you call it? Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Alex Joski is this young punk, right? Whose mentor is a whose whose identified mentor is a former CIA agent, right? Um, who who last year, to great fanfare, put out a put out a um, a book about Chinese spy techniques. He was on this story in twenty nineteen, identifying confirming this guy must be a spy, mm-hmm. and so his credibility is just as crap, and. When are you going to wake up and, and, and accept that the people who've been force-feeding this garbage to you so we could have a war, and the Americans are still pushing really, really hard for a war, mm. right? When are you going to wake up and realise that we are being done over here? So in this particular case, though, when a journalist, the same journalist who in 2020 was there on the spot when ASIO raided a New South Wales Member of Parliament, Cat Musselmane, this journalist from Melbourne was there in Sydney, 6am in the morning, because ASIO had tipped him off that that's what they are going to do. And uh, it was just for show, because cat Muscleman was never questioned. Um, he, he, he was never proved to be have done anything wrong, etc. Right? But this was all... That, what they do is beat up hysteria. Mm. Nick McKenzie has done it three times in a row now. And when do people like him be held to account? Yep. Right? Three strikes and you're out. And... The media machine that employs him isn't going to kick him out. The Australian people have to stop giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. Stop believing a word he says.
0: Now, just to highlight the impact that has, someone who has absolutely not bought into, who who absolutely didn't buy into those lies and who, in fact, fought back against this kind of propaganda that can lead us to war on a number of fronts. We wanted to pay... um, Uh, attention to today and pay tribute to today is Tony Barry, who passed away on the 21st of December, a veteran Australian actor and political activist. Uh, You attended the um, screening, initial screening of a film that he uh, did the voiceover for, produced by David Bradbury, The Road to War, late last year.
1: We should should, um, insert a little bit of a clip here of Tony Barry, we'll find something where people can hear, hear see him talking.
0: You'll hear, hear his beautiful, his voice, hear his yeah. beautiful
1: voice, um, and then play a clip from this. So David Bradbury did this did this film, The Road to War. So essentially, it was Tony's last political act, really, the narrating this. And film. that
0: exposed the war drive behind AUKUS, yeah, the exactly. anti-China propaganda.
1: People should we'll link to that as well. People should people should watch the whole the whole documentary um, about the the, the military buildup. A full salvo from an Ohio class submarine, which can be launched in
4: less than one minute, could unleash up to 192 nuclear warheads to wipe 24 cities off the map. What possible excuse is there for such monstrous nation destroying weaponry? That's a good question to ask again of you, Prime Minister Albanese. What possible excuse could there be for such monstrous nation-destroying weaponry to be used? $33 billion worth of our assets. That's what the thieves from George Street have got their eye on. They're going to sell this off. They're saying they're waiting for a mandate at the next election. They're putting everything in place right now. Okay, we're talking about our past, our present and our future here.
1: And nothing's going to change unless you get involved. But Tony was a supporter of the Citizens Party since 2008. In fact, when he came across us, it was because he was um, uh, playing Ben Chifley, the former, the great Australian Prime Minister in a one-man play in Adelaide, and he'd just done a show on ABC um, called Chifley's... Uh, sorry.
0: A, a local man? Oh, that's the other one.
1: The, the, the one-man play was called A Local Man. The, the show on the ABC... Oh, infamous victory, Ben Chifley's battle for coal. Um, and because he portrayed Chifley, he did some reads, and, and he came across us, and, and we became great friends. I, I've been talking to him since 2008... Um, he, was, he was a mass. we didn't agree on everything but he was a massive supporter of the um uh the citizens party and our commitment to the principles of the old labor party um all the principles except the white australia policy of course which which tony also shared but he was a larrikin it was all those it was all the best things about uh, you know an old-time australian actor you, but if you you know people recognize him he had he got he had his leg amputated in 2013 because of uh, melanoma but we'll put the pictures we've used up here but the, the one of him in the wheelchair there with the mm. free Julian Assange thing, that was just um, like just before he died. And then the other thing he did, Elisa, was three days before he died, he recorded, he got the filmmaker, David Bradbury, to record him reciting a poem. Mm.
0: Are
1: you Are going to do the... Do, well, we were going to see honest? if we can
0: find an audio, but in yeah, I don't of think that, we'll be able to. it's called Inscription for a War by A.D. Hope. Linger not, stranger, shed no tear. Go back to those who sent us here. We are the young they drafted out to wars their folly brought about. Go tell those old men safe in bed, we took their orders and are dead. So
1: that's 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 the passion of Tony Barry coming through there. I think it's funny he was and he regarded himself as an honorary Kiwi because he once back in the eighties he, he starred in this funny movie called Goodbye Port Pie um, about a two guys driving a mini-miner from one end of New Zealand to the other, chasing his girlfriend or whatever. Um, uh, even, I'm not even old enough to really... Re- I just learned about it. Uh, but <laughs> they did a postage stamp of that movie, and so Tony was proud. He was the only Australian to ever feature on a New Zealand postage stamp, <laughs> right? Yeah,
0: good on him. Um, but on the
1: Assange thing, just quickly, last week, one of Australia's leading journalists, John Lyons, said on ABC that he expects Assange to be released within a few months. Mm. We were talking about this just before Christmas, right? We knew there was something going on, right? So now he's said that. So we'll keep, we'll, we'll keep a close knows, eye on that. Who knows, but,
0: yeah, we will. Now, you can read our tribute in the Australian Alert Service. If you haven't contacted us before, we'll send you a complimentary copy. Otherwise, go to our website with links below. You can subscribe to get that every week. Um, all the detail of everything we talk about is there, backed up with all the evidence and so forth in much greater detail we can, than we can go through in the show today. Yep. But that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in and see you again next week.
2: Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.